0: Pay attention, son. This is for your own good. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. you got to get it done. Drive into left side right, of face. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7 15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Harris For young Cinderella, who's come out of nowhere. He's got about 350 yards that He's going to Thank you, thank you. You got a oh, he got all of that one. Hey folks, <clears throat> good to see you again. And if this is your first time, welcome! To the final four is set. Some conference realignment is going on in the NCAA. Spring training is progressing and a fan favorite returns to Saint Louis. I see you had the seat cushions, I see you had the cushions. I just iced down the cooler. And we got the ballpark. Frank's going on the grill. So come on up. Hey, we're going to talk some sports today. Romo looking, dumps it off right side. Intercepted! <laughs> Intercepted the goal line by Woodson. And there is your dagger! Holy cow! You crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Playoffs? Don't talk about them. playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? To infinity and beyond. Hey folks. Welcome back. This is season 2 episode 10. Another busy sports week is here and we're going to talk about it. I'll talk some NCAA final four and there's some teams changing conferences. I'll update the PGA and NASCAR. We'll talk a little bit about St. Louis Cardinals recent addition to the major league roster. You know, this show is part of Gateway City Sports Network. com is your place to go to hear about sports in the St. Louis by-state area. We have a great team of writers and contributors who try to cover as much of the St. Louis sports scene as possible, from the Cardinals to the Blues to the NCAA, Universities of Illinois, and Missouri. We also try to cover national sports as well, so check us out. Check out other podcasts, like the Two for Three with the Moose Mike Stevenson, Yakker Jacks with my water cooler debate partner, Brian Papaswope and the Cards with A-Train Arlington Lane, the XFL-STL football talk show, Team of Rivals podcast with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and Elliot Dewey, and the Derek King Sports Show, which is an experience you need to experience. So check us out. Uh, right, now that all the pleasantries are out of the way, let's get to some scores and news of the day. Chad Ramey won the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and, cha- and Club Championship by one shot over Alex Smalley and Ben Martin. Ramey won the first his first PGA title by shooting 5 under 67 on the final round in windy conditions to secure the title. Uh, uh, Martin or uh, uh, Ramey parred the 18th hole after Martin missed a 6-foot birdie putt that would have forced a playoff. Ramey entered the final round 2 strokes behind Martin but four straight birdies on holes 13-16 through 16, gave him the lead, which he never relinquished. The tournament played opposite of the match play in Austin, Texas, so Ramey's win earns him an exemption to the PGA Championship, but not the Masters. And speaking of the World Golf Championships which were held in Austin. Uh, that match play event was won by Scotty Scheffler as he defeated Kevin Kisner. For the tournament title, in doing so, he has now been ranked number one on the PGA Tour. Scheffler, who is 25, has become only the sixth golfer to obtain the number one spot at or younger than age 25. He joins Tiger Woods, Rory McElroy, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, and John Rahm. He also needed the third fewest starts, only 92, to be number one he is uh, behind only tiger woods who took 21 starts and i don't think that's ever going to get broken and uh uh jordan spieth who did it in 77 starts this was also scheffler's third win this season for the tournament scheffler paid 120 holes and was seven and one in match play NASCAR News, Ross Chastain got his first career cup series win Sunday at the Circuit of Americas. It was in the overtime when Chastain was leading, uh, but A.J. Allmendinger used a bump and run maneuver to take the lead. Alex Bowman then tried to pass both racers. Chastain collected himself, returned a favor to Allmendinger, who got into Bowman, sending A.J. into a spin and off the course. Chastain was able to get by both drivers, take the checkered flag. Not only was it Chastain's first win this year, but it was the first win for car owners Justin Marks and Pitbull and Trackhouse Racing. Alex Bowman finished second, Christopher Bell third, Chase Elliott was fourth, and Tyler Reddick finished fifth. Next up for NASCAR is the April 3rd Toyota Owner 400 at Richmond Raceway. In other NASCAR news, Buddy Barker, crew chief for Bubba Wallace, has been suspended along with two crew members. Caleb Dirks, and Adam Riley for the next four NASCAR races. It stems from lap 45 at the recent Circuit of America's race when the left rear wheel came off of Wallace's car, causing him to spin and do enough damage to his race car that he could not continue, resulting in his first DNF this year. It was determined that the wheel was properly, improperly installed, so the crew chief, tire changer, and jackman were all given a four-race suspension. 23 XL Racing, does not plan to appeal and the racing performance director Dave Roger will serve as the acting crew chief 23XI Racing is not the only team to have had wheel trouble this year three other teams have had similar issues uh, this is due to be thought thought to be due to the change over uh that NASCAR made with these new next gen cars going from a five lug nut system to a one lug nut system i'm not sure why that's a causing improper installation, but they say that's where it could be. In some NFL news, Bruce Ahrens has stepped down as the Tampa Bay head coach, and Todd Bowles will now be uh, taking his spot. Uh, Ahrens said, I wanted to ensure that when I walked away that Todd Bowles would have the best opportunity to succeed. So many head coaches come into situations where they're set up for failure, and I didn't want that for Todd. Uh, Bowles was a head coach before the New York Jets. Uh, Going 24-40 and in four years there, Bowles becomes the fourth black head coach in Tampa Bay history. NFL Roger Goodell announced that there is no timetable and possible discipline for Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. Watson, who did not play last year due to having a deal with uh, 22 civil lawsuits against him for alleged sectional misconduct, a grand jury in Texas determined that Watson will not face charges on the criminal complaints following a police investigation into the civil suits. Now, Watson was traded to the Browns after this grand jury decision to not prosecute. Now, should a suspension be handed down, the Browns are not without options. They recently acquired uh, Joby Brissett and will have the option of retaining Baker Mayfield as well. So, it seems like the Browns have protection should Watson not be available. And speaking of protection, CIU can be protected by Allstate and the Wiley Group. Hello, this is Don Glenn from Gateway City Sports. We all know how important it is to stay protected. Sometimes life throws you a curve, and that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and so much more. They offer a customized approach that's unique to your situation to make sure you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings. Give Sean and his team a call today at 636-764-6294. They'll help you out with an insurance quote right over the phone. Even give them a call if you just want to talk sports. They do that too. We all have busy lives, so you can email Sean at seanwiley at allstate.com and talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Hey, we're back. Let's talk some NCAA. want to. We'll get to the final four in just a minute. I want to go over some of these conference realignment <laughs> that's going on. You know, we all remember. I remember back in uh, uh, last year that the uh, University of, universities of Oklahoma and University of Texas are leaving the Big Twelve for the more lucrative football-rich SEC. But as they say in the TV ads, but wait, there's more. This has prompted also some basketball realignment um, mostly in the minor the, the uh, somewhat minor conferences, if you will um, now in the football end of it, the big twelve did cushion the blow a little bit uh, with uh, losing of Oklahoma and Texas by bringing in uh, teams from the uh A c or excuse me, AAC. Uh, Cincinnati, Houston, and the University of Central Florida. They're set to join the Big 12 in 2024-25, uh, and uh, WCC member BYU is moving up to the Big 12 in the 23-24 season. So the future of the Big 12 will, will be BYU, Baylor, Cincinnati, Houston, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas Tech. University of Central Florida and West Virginia. Now, this does a few things. First, now, West Virginia has a fairly close conference rivals with Cincinnati and University of Central Florida, which is a lot better than what they had before, considering they were the only team, really, um, in the eastern part of the United States, uh, as the rest of the Big 12 was either in Texas or Kansas uh you know western Mississippi so to speak. Uh second, BYU now gives Iowa State another close proximity rival besides the Kansas, Kansas State. And third, the state of Texas is once again the prominent uh uh state in the Big Twelve, as it was before uh when you had Texas A and M and University of Texas and Baylor, Texas Tech. Uh now you've got uh with uh, Houston and uh uh Coming in, it makes it uh, gives it a little bit more of a of a uh, Texas feel, so to speak. Uh, as you have uh, four teams of the twelve are now Texas related, and then you've got uh, Oklahoma State, uh, Kansas, and Kansas State. So you got a really good grouping right there in that little center area there. Uh, now, like as I said, football isn't the only thing that's been realigned um, as the Big Twelve those were football and basketball so uh all sports actually i think are transferring over so um on the basketball side of things for the big 12 um adding houston adding cincinnati um i think really kind of ups their game a little bit um not that texas and oklahoma were bad basketball schools uh texas has been very good the last few years um uh, but um Let's face it, Texas and Oklahoma are known more for iron work than hardwood, that's for sure. Uh, so let's take a quick look at some of these realignments. Uh, in America East, Hartford is moving out to Division 3 They're stepping down. Uh, Stony Brook, whose football team plays in the Colonial Athletic, is now taking their basketball program to that conference. Um, It is also interesting to note that the uh, American East members Albany, Maine, and New Hampshire also play football in the Colonial Conference. Uh, Bryant from the NEC has been slated to join the AEC next season. So they're kind of losing a couple teams and gaining a team. Uh, speaking of the Colonial, uh, James Madison, for football reasons, is set to move to the Sun Belt Conference in time for the 22 23 season. The Colonial will be adding, however, Big South members Hampton and North Carolina, uh, North Carolina AT, excuse me, as well as Monmouth from the, from the Mid uh, American Athletic Conference and Stony Brook, as I said earlier, from the American East. So this does give the CAA an odd number of of uh, 13 schools, so uh, adding another one in the next year or two is not out of the question for them. Uh, Jacksonville State and Liberty are leaving the Atlantic Sun to move to the Conference USA, uh, but the Atlantic Sun is adding Austin P from the Ohio Valley, and Division II Queens University is said to be as a potential target for expansion. However, they may have some fight on their hands there, as the Big South is also looking at Queens University as well. The Missouri Valley Conference will be getting some new blood as they welcome Belmont and Murray State from the Ohio Valley. They'll also gain Illinois Chicago from the Horizon League. This will, however, they will, however, lose a top program when Loyola, Loyola Chicago will be moving to the Atlantic 10. And. Uh, Let's look at the OVC real quick, as they do lose three programs, Murray State, Austin P, and Belmont. Now, they have made moves to replace those losses with Little Rock from the Sun Belt, Southern Indiana, who moves up from Division II, and Lindenwood University, also coming up from the D2 level. Uh, As I said, the Sun Belt's losing a couple teams. um, As Little Rock goes to the OVC, University of Texas Arlington goes to the WAC, uh, but they are... They did get James Madison in the deal and three Conference USA members in Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss. And the WAC is losing Chicago State. They have yet to designate where the what conference they're going to, if any. New Mexico State and Sam Houston are joining Conference USA. Uh, the WAC is, however, adding incarnate world from the Southern Incarnate Word from the Southland Conference, Southern Utah from the Big Sky and University of Texas Arlington from the Sun Belt. They also have one school changing names, as Dixie State will now be known as Utah Tech. Conference USA seems to be the one that gets most affected um, with this whole realignment mess, as they will lose nine schools, uh, University of Alabama Birmingham, Florida Atlantic, Charlotte, North Texas, Rice, University of Texas, San Antonio, all moving to the AAC, while Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss opting out for the Sun Belt. Now, they did add, by bringing in Jackson State, Liberty from the Atlantic Sun, and New Mexico State, Sam Houston from the WAC. The AAC has undergone a big change as well, taking take six programs from Conference USA, but they're not without their losses, as Cincinnati, Houston, and USC, UF. UCF, University of Central Florida, all moving to the Big 12. So, as I said, you're going to need a flow chart, and I think you probably still got a couple more changes coming in the next year or two. All right, let's get into the final four real quick here. Uh, this year's Final Four has had a little bit of everything. You've got storied programs, conference rivals, big-time coaches, a retirement party, and what more can you ask for? Um, these four teams that are in uh, Villanova, North Carolina, Duke, and Kansas have resulted in seven of the last 13 national championships. Uh, Duke has two of those uh, uh, with Mike Krzyzewski. Villanova has two with Jay Wright. North Carolina has two. Those were under Roy Williams and Kansas has one with Bill Self. Now in terms of total titles, Carolina, North Carolina has 6, Duke 5, Kansas 3, Villanova 3. Uh, in the term of the coaches, Mike Krzyzewski has 13 Final Fours and 5 titles. Bill Self has 4 Final Four appearances with 1 title. Jay Wright, 4 Final Fours with 2 wins. And Hubert Davis, the new, uh, North, the new coach at North Carolina, obviously this is his first Final Four. Now, for Krzyzewski, a win would be the perfect cap to such a brilliant coaching career. Uh, Man is pretty much done it all. He, uh, he's coached the Olympics. He's coached at, uh, started out at Army. And he's taken Duke to, really, heights that they never would have known. He has the most NCAA tournament game wins at 101. Most Final Four appearances with 13. He is second only to John Wooden in championships with 6. Now, Wooden has 12, so he's going to be hard to catch for anybody. Um... For Jay Wright, it would give him the most NCAA championships among active coaches at three. Uh, this is, of course, meaning after he retires. Um, and all at Villanova in only eight years. So this really puts him up on a fairly elite level if he could get a uh, national championship this year. Bill Self would be vindication of sorts, and it's been 13 years since the last time uh, he coached a team to a national champion. It would also give him more titles than legendary Kansas coaches Larry Brown and Fog Allen. For Hubie Davis, winning a national title in his first year as head coach would be the ultimate start to anyone's career, and uh, after taking over such a storied program like North Carolina, it would be just, I guess, fitting, if you will. <laughs> now looking at the teams, uh, the Jayhawks have four players averaging in double figures. Okay. Agbaja, and I hope I, I I know I butchered that name and I apologize to the young man, but uh, so we'll move on. Uh, He's averaging 18.9 points a game. Christian Braun is averaging 14.3 with Jalen Wilson and Dave McCormick even also scoring in double figures. All four are good shooters with Braun shooting 49% from 45.7% and McCormick 49.6% from the field. Agbagje is 47% from the floor while Wilson is 468 From three point range, Abagje is 39.8%, Braun 39.2%. Sixth man Remy Martin, who is slowed late season due to the injury, is yet another good shooter at 465 from the field and 358 from beyond the arc. Playmaker Dejon Harris Jr. averages 4.2 assists to 1.4 turnovers, uh, so he's a good playmaking guard. Compliments the other shooters they have on the or the shooters they have on the team. Jayhawks have also hit the boards they average forty rebounds a game, led by Jalen Wilson at seven point four rebounds, with two hundred and six defensive rebounds. McCormick and Braun hit the boards as well, averaging six point eight and six point five boards a game respectively. Kansas can go deep, but generally only runs a six seven man rotation. While not an overly big team, they do have left foot Big athletic guards in Abai, Agbaija, six uh, five and Braun six six. Uh, McCormick is the only real big man, six ten two fifty. Wilson at Ford is a solid six eight two twenty five. Martin and Harris are only six foot and six one, but they can get out and run the floor and control tempo. They're hard to beat when they do that, but they need to avoid lapses in allowing teams to hang on too close. This has become uh, somewhat apparent. Uh, Miami had a lead on them. Uh, they uh, uh, had a couple games that they were pushed, so they're going to need to make sure they play a full 40 minutes uh, if they're going to take the title. Now Villanova guard Colin Gillespie is the Wildcats linchpin. Leading scorer with 15.6 per game, 43% shooting from the field, 40% 40.9% actually from downtown. He leads the team in assists with 121. Justin Moore is a second-leading scorer, 14.8 points a game. However, Moore will not be in the lineup versus Kansas as he suffered an Achilles injury versus Houston. His replacement is probably sixth-man Caleb Daniels, averaging 10 points a game. Gillespie is a definite outside threat at 43% from the field and 40.9, as, we, as I said earlier. Daniels is a slightly better shooter than Moore with 39% to 35% from the field and 42% to 37 from the three-point range. Moore is 6'4", uh, is a good rebounder. Jay Wright, Jay Wright calls him one of the best rebounding guards in the program, so he's going to be sorely missed, uh, especially against Kansas, who has an outstanding rebounding team. Villanova is not quite as tall at the guard spot as Kansas, but inside they match up really well with Jermaine Samuels, 6'7", 230, and Eric Dixon, 6'9", 255. These two uh, are a rebounding duo, uh, garnering about 13 boards a game between the two of them. So they've got some inside strength on the rebounding. So we'll see how that plays out against the again again against the strong Kansas rebounding team. Villanova's very good free throw shooting team, and this may be where they take they have the advantage if they can force uh, Kansas into some foul trouble as they shoot 83% uh, from the line. Um, one related side note is Villanova has never trailed. In the second half of an entire tournament so if they have a lead and it comes down to free throws in that second half uh, I think it's pretty much going to be a lights out uh, uh, situation in uh, North Carolina for North Carolina the Tar Heels main force has been Armando Bacot 610 240 Uh, he's a forward center he's averaging 16 points and 12 rebounds a game Uh, he is the best rebounder in the country who can work the perimeter pass run the floor uh, arguably one of the best players, if not the best player in the tournament. North Carolina has a couple of legitimate three-point threats as well. In garlic Caleb Love, uh, who averages 15.7 points a game and 31, 37.1% from three, and six-nine forward Brandy Bannock, who's averaging 15 points a game and shoots 398 from beyond the arc. Uh, and uh, he also averages almost 6 rebounds a game. Either of these guys can drop 25 plus points on a given opportunity, so if they get hot, it can be all over but the shouting of those guys. Guard R.J. Davis is another one to look for, averaging 13.4, but he's been known to light it up occasionally, and with shooting 42.9 from the floor and 37.4 from the arc, uh, he's another one that's going to be could be a very dangerous player. What hurts UNC is depth. They really don't have a deep bench to call on in case of foul trouble, or let alone one of the starters gets hurt like what happened to Villanova. They do have motivation to reach the championship game after knocking Duke out of the ACC tourney. Spoiling Coach K's retirement gala by not allowing him a chance in a national championship uh, would just kind of be a pretty pretty good-sized trophy in their case. And speaking of Duke, first there are simply no other superlatives I can say about Coach K. Duke has been a national champion five times, all under Coach Sheshewski. He has turned down uh he's turned Duke into a college basketball blue blue blood uh when they weren't before. Um this team has had troubles earlier, but it's a stout headlining in this group is 6, 5, 6, 10, 250, Paolo Banchero who is considered by many a top five, if not a lottery NBA pick. He averages 17 points a game, 7 rebounds a game, 3.2 assists a game. In short, there's not a whole lot this kid can't do. He probably works the concessions as a halftime. I mean, he does it all. Uh, he's not alone, though. Four other Blue Devils are averaging double-digit scoring, uh, and his front they have a front-court duo of 7-foot... Mike Williams, uh who averages eleven points a game during the regular season, he's averaging fourteen points in the postseason, uh, to go along with uh Banchero. This gives them a pretty good size uh uh twin towers, if you will, and uh some, and a, a good uh, uh good defensive st- uh stop in the middle, if you will. Um they really both both players have uh, a formidable uh defensive uh, problem for any team. Um, our guard Jeremy Roach is another player who's blossomed into postseason, averaging four points more per game than he did in the regular season. And you have 6'6 forward A.J. Griffin, who shot 40% from three-point range during the tournament and has been a big boost for the Duke offense. The only knock on the team is the Duke defensive Duke's defensive efficiency is last among the four teams in the Final Four. But they have beaten... The top two defensive teams in the tournament already. So as long as they can score, all bets may be off. Um, my original prediction of Villanova's national championship did not figure in North Carolina or Duke, plus the injury to Justin Moore. Uh, and I have to question it. But I will stay with it. I think they can beat Kansas, um, even with the tough rebounding options. Um, but uh, I also think they, can, they still have enough... To win, I I really think what's going to happen if Villanova beats Kansas, I don't think either Duke or uh, North Carolina is going to stop them. Um, however, you know, again, all bets are off once you get to this point in the tournament. And uh, but I made my I made my bet with Villanova, so I'm just going to have to lie in it, and we'll go from there. <laughs> Certainly going to be a lot of stress for these programs in the next few days. But you know what? doesn't have to be stressful, and that's buying a car. So let's hear from 5th Street Motors. Hey, Don Glenn here for 5th Street Motors. We all know buying a vehicle can be stressful, but it doesn't have to be. 5th Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, will help you find the vehicle you need no matter what brand. 5th Street Motors believes in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. Give Brandon or Don a call today at 573-259-1306 and tell them, Gateway City Sports sent you. Hey, we are back, and guess who is, who else is? El Hombre. Yes, fans, the St. Louis Cardinals have signed Albert Pujols, and he is back with a $2.5 one-year one deal. His uh, prolific career will come to an end where it all started, as he has announced he will retire after this season. Uh, There's been a firestorm of social media activity about this, spanning the spectrum from celebration to disgust, obviously, or uh, uh, crazy as it sounds. Uh, Some classify this as a great move to bolster both the DH slot and the bench. Uh, These folks may be looking a little optimistic. Some classify it as a pure PR move with no baseball value whatsoever. Those people are only half right. Most people understand that we're not getting the 2005 version of Pujols, nor even the 2011 version. What we're getting is a player who can still hit with power, not 30 home run plus power to be sure, but some power. He also hits left-handed pitching very well, which makes a good platoon possibility at the DH slot. While he's no longer a gold glove that he used to be, he can give Goldschmidt a day off or two at first base. So there is baseball value there. Pujols says he will retire the season, so with Molina, who has also announced that, and it was widely believed that Wainwright, this will be his final season, to have all three on the same team at the end of such storied careers, the marketing ideas and possible related merchandising will be unquestionable financial boom for the Cardinal franchise. Personally, once the Cardinals signed Dickerson, I, the thought of an Albert coming back to St. Louis seemed rather distant, if you will. Uh, I, like others, figured that Dickerson would platoon with Yepez at the DH, and Yepes would also be used as a day-off filler for Goldie and Nato, with Newt Barr being the fourth outfielder. And at the get, it was City Sports Water Cooler, or our Twitter chat room if you will uh, we've had discussions about this and even we're mixed on it um, you know again realizing that this uh, you know uh, is more just more no much more than or oh, excuse me realizing that this is uh, not just a PR move there is some baseball value but let's face it having Pujols, Molina and Wainwright at the end of their careers uh, on the same team in the same year you cannot ignore the pr value about this you cannot ignore the fact that this is a move to generate more uh interest in the team and put thereby putting more butts in the seats if you will um in terms of what younger there are there is other baseball value in terms of what the younger guys can learn from the machine as he's been called um his stats have gone down but he still has that knowledge. He still has what he can pass along to these young kids, like a Newt Bar, like an O'Neal, uh, a Carlson, uh, even a guy like a, like a, like a Arenado. I mean, he, yeah, there's things he can he can relate to these guys and 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 uh, that they, they can use to help themselves. Now, if you want to look at the stats, last year Pujols hit 236, 284, and 433 on his slash between the Dodgers and the Angels. Now, in Anaheim, uh, it was 198, 250, and 372. But when he got traded to the Dodgers, 254, 299, and 460. Now, the 299 on-base percentage is not a great on-base percentage. I'll give you that. Um, but uh, he hit uh, 17 or 13 home runs with... Uh, with uh, L.A. He, against right-handed pitching. He was 180, 233, 266 with only 4 runs and 16 RBIs and 139 at-bats. Versus lefties, though, he hit 294, 336, 603 with 13 homers and 34 RBIs in 136 at-bats. Now, as a pinch hitter, he was... 359, 395, 513, two home runs, 10 RBIs in 39 at bats. So he does, again, have some bench value. He does have some uh, value against left handed in a left handed platoon situation. Now, fielding wise, he may not be the first baseman. He used to be. 57 games, 506 innings at first base last year. He did average a 993 fielding percentage and a total zone rating of 10 with a DRS of minus 4. But if you take Anaheim out of the equation. His DRS is now only a negative one. Uh, with the Dodgers, he played 56 games, 342 innings at first base, with a fielding percentage of 997, just one error in 288 chances. So, he still can play the field. But what does this do to the overall team dynamic? Well, if you go with an even split 26 man roster, it gives you 13 position players, 13 pitchers. The starting eight is pretty much set with O'Neill, Bader, Carlson, Arnado, DeYoung, Edmund, and Goldschmidt, and then Yachty. If you use the platoon at DH, you've got Dickerson and Pujol. So that gives you 10 of your 13. That leaves you a bench of uh, uh, backup catcher Andrew Kisner, Lars Newbar, the fourth outfielder, and infielder Edmundo Sosa. Now there are some NRI guys, uh, non roster invites like Yepes, Robertson, uh, Robertson Kramer, and Luke and Baker are working hard to make an impression, but the drawback is that none of these guys are left hand bats, which you're going to need if you want a platoon with poo holes, and also an extra left hand bat for the bench. Now, pitching was a given, a given again, the, 13 split, the 13-13 split, the split. Four-fifths of the rotation seems to be set with Hudson, uh, newcomer Steven Matz, Miles Michaelis, and Adam Wainwright. Uh, the unsettled spot is Jack Flaherty, who, who is out right now due to officially right shoulder bursitis. He also has a superior anterior posterior tear, or a slap tear, in his right shoulder. He did receive a platelet-rich plasma injection and is scheduled to begin throwing sometime this week. He has no pain, if he has no pain, uh, he will start the season still on the IL just to kind of build up his stamina. Um, so they will have to call in another pitcher to fill that, that spot in the rotation. Uh, possibly Drew Verhagen or Jake Woodford being used there. Now if he's going to be out, say, more than a month, I think they would be better served trying to find a trade for a starter. Uh, now this would leave eight bullpen pitchers, uh, of which you can ink in McFarlane, Gallegos, Hicks, and Genesis Cabrera. Uh, Cody Whitley and Ryan Hills, I think, are odds-on favorites. But then there's newcomer Nick Whitgren, who has so far had a very good spring. Aaron Brooks has had a good spring as well. I think you could either see Verhagen or Woodford, whichever one is not used as a starter. A dark horse candidate for the left side could be Connor Thomas, who's had a very good spring. All in all, the season has much to promise as it has question marks. DeYoung has had a very good spring, and he leads the team to home runs with With a 500, 565, 950, he leads the team with two home runs and nine RBIs. In addition, uh, or in recent additions, is a Corey Spangenberg uh, third baseman infielder, has made the most of eight trips to the plate going 500, 565, 875. Will the Cardinals carry seven pitchers to allow for an extra bench player? If they keep Dickerson, do they drop Newt Barr in favor of another infielder? Are they holding back to see what Flaherty's status will be before making a move for another starter? If so, who would be a trading partner? As the list of affordable pitchers in free agent market. I mean, folks, it ain't there. Uh, you know, a couple options. There have been talk about making a deal with Oakland for either Sean Manea or Frankie Montas. Not sure what it would take to trade Oakland, uh, but I guarantee they're going to uh, start with uh, Gorman, Yepes, or Donovan. Um, and I don't think any of those three are... Uh, on the block if you will. Um, now they could you could make a deal for possibly say Luke and Baker and a couple of pitchers as I think Oakland is in do need does need help at first base. Uh another trading partner could be Detroit for Matthew Boyd, uh a left-hander and this is just speculation on my part, folks. I've got nothing to to back it up. I just I kind of like Boyd. Um but they've got a number of spots that could be helped and may not require quite a hefty price as a Manea or a Montaz. Um, so, it's going to be interesting in the next couple weeks to see what happens with that. Before the, well, actually, the next week here, because it starts up uh, the 7th. So, uh, we'll see what goes on. And that's going to do it for me. Uh, I want you to enjoy the NCAA Tournament this weekend. And if you have questions or requests, send them to tsotb.gcs at gmail.com or on Twitter at tsotbgcs or D underscore gcs. And we will see you folks next time on The Bleachers. Thanks again for joining us, and you have been listening to Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Here's hoping you have a great sports day.